Good evening, everybody. I almost said morning, everybody. How are we doing tonight? <laughs> Sometimes the day goes by so fast. It feels like day and night all mixed together, right? So welcome to Living Word Community Church. Let's stand together. Take a minute before we start singing praises to our King, our Lord, our Savior, and just bow our heads and our hearts together. Let's do that. Father, we are grateful for this time you've given us, a special time in your presence, Lord. We are given as a gift. And we know that, Lord, we do not take this time lightly or for granted. We praise you and we thank you, Lord, that we have the freedom to worship you whenever our hearts desire, Lord, to turn towards you and incline ourselves to you. You're there. We are just clinging to your promises every day, every moment. We know that you hold the very breath that we breathe each day. You allow us this time, Lord. And Father, we know that we have much to do here, Lord God. We just pray for a, a, just an equipping of our hearts and our minds, our thoughts, our words tonight, Lord, as we study your word, as we sing praise to you, as we pray together. Father God, we just ask that you would reveal more of yourself to us, expand our hearts, that whoever we interact with at whatever time, you would be foremost in our hearts and minds and we would be sharing your great love with those around us, Lord. We just pray for a mighty work to continue here at Living Word, Lord, and in each of our lives. Father, we pray your blessing and pray you be honored in Jesus' name. Amen. It's a clapping time. Let this be a prayer tonight. Lord, draw me nearer to you. Draw me nearer, Holy Spirit. Fill me up with your power. Give me boldness to spread the good news. Draw me nearer this very hour. Sing it again. Draw me nearer, Holy Spirit. Fill me up with your power. Give me boldness to spread the good news. Draw me nearer this very hour. Draw me nearer, Holy Spirit. Fill me up, won't you fill me up? Your power, give me boldness to spread the good news. Draw me nearer this very hour. One more time. Draw me nearer, Holy Spirit. Fill me up, Lord, fill me up with your power. Give me boldness to spread the Draw me nearer this very hour. Praise the Lord with all your heart.
Whiter than snow. Whiter than snow. You have made me holy in the Father's eyes. You see in me the child you died for. Yeah. 
Let's pray together. Father, we thank you, Lord God, for this night. We thank you, Lord God, just the sweetness of coming into your presence, Lord God. You are Yahweh, who has proven yourself faithful, Lord God, throughout the scriptures, but you have proven yourself faithful throughout our lives. Lord God, you have lifted us when we're down. You have carried us when we're weak. Lord God, you have blessed us in spite of ourselves at times. And Lord God, you have always been good. You have always been gracious. You have always been merciful. You are more willing to forgive than we are willing to ask. You are a God, Yahweh. And you have revealed yourself, Lord God, to us through your Son, Jesus Christ. And we bow down before you tonight in praise and adoration. And all these things, Lord God, we pray tonight in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, God bless you all, kids. You can go. You can all be seated. So now from tonight on, you should be fasting so that uh, come Saturday, you will indulge in the foods of the world. (laughs) And then on Sunday morning, you will curse me. (laughs) It'll be like World War III going on in your stomach. There's a lot of good food. It's It's a great night. So I want to share with you tonight examples. This is going to be part three from Numbers chapter 11. We're actually going to go to verse 18 through verse 23. If you open up your Bibles with me, we'll stand. Let's stand for the reading of the word tonight. So in verse 18 of Numbers 11, Then you shall say to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow you shall eat meat. For you have wept in the hearing of the Lord, saying, Who will give us meat to eat? For it was well with us in Egypt. Therefore the Lord will give you meat, and you shall eat. (laughs) You shall eat not one day, not two days, nor five days, nor ten days, nor twenty days, but for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you, Because you have despised the Lord who is among you and have wept before him, saying, Why did we ever come up out of Egypt? And Moses said, The people whom I am among are 600,000 men on foot. Yet you have said, I will give them meat that they may eat for a whole month. Shall flocks and herds be slaughtered for them to provide enough for them? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them to provide enough for them? And the Lord said to Moses, has the Lord's arm been shortened? Now you shall see whether what I say will happen to you or not. So Heavenly Father, we pray in Jesus' name, open up our hearts, Lord God. We have, again, a wonderful Lord God example here of what not to do. And Lord God, we pray that you would just impress this upon our hearts, Lord God, Show us, Lord God, the blessing of the word tonight. Reveal it to us. And Lord God, we sit at your feet to learn from you. In Jesus' name, amen. So here, in the, again, Numbers 11. They, they complained and God rebuked them. Okay, and he brought punishment upon them. They lusted after the world. They lusted to go back to Egypt. And again, God disciplined them. And now... Essentially here, they have rejected the manna, and they want me to eat. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 6-11, and I showed you this a couple weeks ago, it says, now these things became our examples. And I'll tell you, what it's talking about here is basically one instance, or one incident that happened in Exodus, and then the rest were in Numbers. And, and actually, when you get down to verse 11 here, it's speaking specifically what happens here in, in Numbers 11. So now, these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after things as they also lusted. That's speaking right about this chapter. That's speaking about Numbers 11. And do not become idolaters, as uh, were some of them. As it is written, these people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And that essentially happened in Exodus chapter 32 with the, with the molten calf. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and in one day 23,000 fell. That's Numbers 25. 
nor let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. That's Numbers 21. Nor complain, as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. And then it says, now all these things happened. By the way, verse 10, that's speaking again right about the passage that we're in in Numbers uh, 11. Now all these things happened to them again as examples and they were written for admonition upon whom the end of the ages have come. So just the, again, the Bible gives us great examples. It gives us great examples of what to do. It gives us great examples of what not to do. It gives us great examples of people that you want to you know, make your role models. And then you have people who don't want to do anything, okay? And you don't want to roll with them. Okay, so here, here is again a great example of what not to do with God in your relationship uh, because it's, it's going to cost you. So the first thing I want you to notice in our, our text is meat to eat or blow it out your nose. I don't know how else to put it, okay? Meat to eat or blow it out your nose. And it is a funny passage, right? When you, when, when you look at this, verse 18 through 20, then you shall say to the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow and you shall eat meat for you have wept in the hearing of the Lord. The word, the word consecrate, it, it, me, it, it is the word that we get holiness from. It's kodash in the Hebrew and um, it's about dedicate. He's saying dedicate yourselves, prepare yourselves, dedicate yourselves, prepare your hearts for what I'm about to do. He's about to do a miracle. He's about to do something absolutely incredible. And then it goes on, and it, it says here, who will give us meat to eat, for it was well with us in Egypt. Therefore the Lord will give you meat, and you shall eat, and you shall eat. Uh, not one day, not two, not five, not ten, not twenty, but for a whole month until it's coming out of your nostrils, and it becomes loathsome to you because you have despised the Lord who is among you and have wept before him, saying, why did we ever come out uh, uh, of Egypt? So I'm going to give you so much meat it's going to be coming out of your nose. So let me just say, you ever hear the saying, be careful what you ask for? That's really, that, 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 that would be a, great, that'd be a great sermon title just for this passage. They, they whined and they complained about the good old days. Remember the leeks? Remember the onions? There used to be a family here called the Leeks, and I remember preaching. I just had this thought. I was preaching on it. I said, remember the Leeks when you're... And the Leeks were sitting there, all four of them from Tenafly. But remember the Leeks, remember the, you know, the onions, remember the fish from the Nile. Now, I, I just want to say they're looking back to Egypt. Egypt is a type of the world. You understand. We battle, we battle against the world, we battle against the flesh, and we battle against Satan. Satan, really, you have a typology in Pharaoh. Pharaoh is a typology of, of Satan. And then slavery is a typology of sin. So there, there, this is, again, a picture, and we, we've seen this, in, seen this in the church through the years. Somebody makes a profession of Christ, and they just are continuously looking back, lusting and, and craving after the world. And sometimes you see them go back into the world. Jesus said, no one who puts their hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So it's a, you know, it, it, is, it is a strong warning about, again, lusting for, you know, for the old life, lusting for the worldly life. So here, here they are. We're in this dry desert Right, it's hot in the day, it's cold in the night, right? And and all we're eating is this manna, and we're sick of it. So we want to go back to Egypt. So God says, I'm gonna give you meat. You're tired of the manna? I'm gonna give you meat to eat. And I'm gonna give you so much meat that it's gonna be coming out of your nose. It's gonna be flowing out of your nostril. You ever eat something? over and over and again, and you get sick of it. You know, just, by the way, if you ask my wife, I could eat lasagna every day. I think I could eat lasagna and meatballs every day for the rest of my life. I don't, because I'm, I'm not a, I try to stay away from the carbs, especially during the week. But I'm telling you, when my wife makes lasagna, and that Irish girl can make lasagna, that's, it's 10 times better than any restaurant in the area. Best lasagna I've ever had. My mom taught her how to make it. 
And, you know, you have meatballs in there or a little sausage, a little chicken sausage in there. And, uh, you know, just, it, it, I, I, could, I think I could eat it every day. For, I think I can. But if you're ever, you know, just eating, you know, you're eating the same old thing, you get sick of it. And that's what God is saying. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give this to you for 30 days and you're going to be absolutely sick of it. Now, there's a, there's a lesson here. They're complaining about where they are. They're complaining about being in the desert. They're again, complaining, it's, you know, it's too hot, it's too cold, you know, we want to you know, eat leeks and onions and fish from Egypt, but they're, they're complaining about this. And I just want to... There are times God brings us into deserts in our spiritual life. There, there are times when, you know what, it's going to be hot. It's going to be hot in the day, it's going to be cold in the night, and, and it's going to be dry. And I want to tell you just this. I've been pastoring this church for 30 years, 30 plus years. And um, I want to tell you, I've pastored 30 different churches. I've pastored 30 different churches right here. And there, there have been periods when we have been on mountaintops and there have been periods when we have been down in the valley of demons. There, there have been periods where, you know what, we are in the promised land and there have been periods where we, we are in the desert. So there's all these different stages that we have gone through, different levels, different growth levels in the people in the congregation. There, there have been different periods of, of buildings. And we, you know, from, from, we started the church in my home around the corner. We moved to a little building in uh, Bergenfield above the movie theater. It was a gymnastic uh, studio. My kids grew up thinking that churches had uneven parallel bars, balance beams, and when they went to a, a Catholic church for a baptism, they said to me, Dad, where are the balance beams and the parallel bars? Aren't even parallel bars. And they grew up thinking that's what a, you know, what a church was because we used to move all the equipment to the side, set up chairs, set up altars, set up a pulpit, and we'd have church there. We, we moved here. We just had upstairs where the kids were in Sunday school. We rented then in time, we rented more space and then more space. And eventually, we bought the building. And we renovated it. Gloria, remember those days? Remember what this place looked like when we started? Lenny, you remember. And we, we renovated, you know, we renovated this place. And then there were, there were other renovations. And there were repairs. I'm just telling you about the building. But, the, you know, the people of the church... But we, we have, again, I have pastored, I'm telling you, I have pastored 30 different congregations over the course of the last 30 years. And again, sometimes it, it, we were hot and sometimes we were cold. And, you know, some, sometimes, right, it was, it, was, it was a desert experience and sometimes it was a land that was overflowing with fruit, right, and honey. But I learned a lesson. Bloom where you're planted. That wherever, wherever God had, had planted us, right? And wherever he really, really planted me. Say, I could be responsible to you. I can't be responsible for you. I could preach the word. I could give you direction. But I can't be responsible for what you do with it. By the way, we can't be responsible really for anybody with the exception of our, our young children. So, uh, you know, I, I, I seek to be faithful, but outside of what anybody did or what anybody is doing right now, I seek to grow where I've been planted. So you may not be happy where you are right now, or you may be overjoyed where you are right now. And you may be looking at your life, you may be looking at your career, you may be looking at your marriage, you may be looking at your family, you may be looking at your, at your age. Right, Lou? And, and again, the word is to bloom where you are planted. And I'll tell you something, 
you will bring great glory to God if you, if you live that way. Because we, we, we live in a society where as soon as things get a little uncomfortable, everybody bolts. We bolt out of marriages. We bolt out of churches. Right? We, we bolt out of relationships. As soon as it gets a little, a little hot, and I just can flourish, right? Blossom, grow where God has planted you. And the Israelites, by the way, they didn't do that. They didn't bloom where God had planted them. You know what they did? They died where God had planted them. Because this entire generation, with the exception of Caleb and Joshua, died in the desert. And that's kind of a scary thing. All right, number two, Moses' doubts. And we saw on Sunday, Moses, he, he had sometimes doubt issues, right? Numbers 11, 21 through 22, and Moses said, the people whom I'm among are 600,000 men on foot. 600,000, that's the men, those are the soldiers. So you got about 4 million people here, men, women, women and children. Yet you have said, I will give them meat that they may eat for a whole month. Shall flocks and herds be slaughtered for them to provide enough for them? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them to provide enough for them? So he is having a faith crisis. Have you read a faith crisis, right? He's having a faith crisis. God said, I will give them meat to eat for a month. And Moses is saying, how are you going to do that with, 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 with doubt? You see, this, you see this as kind of an ongoing theme at different times in the scriptures. I think if, if you're taking this passage, look at a comparative passage to the New Testament. What would it be? When, when Jesus fed the 4,000 and the 5,000, right? So, you know, Matthew chapter 15, verse 32, the feeding of the 4,000. Then his disciples said to him, where could we get enough bread in the wilderness to fill such a great multitude? And I think, I think Jesus was kind of hoping that they would have remembered Numbers 11. And then in, in John chapter 6, verse 5 through 7, then Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing a great multitude coming towards him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread? That these may eat. And, uh, but this he said to test him. For he himself knew what he would do. And Philip answered him. 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them. That every one of them may have a little. So again this is 20,000 people. And Jesus is saying to them feed them. And they're saying we where will we get enough bread to be able to feed all these people? And Philip, I call Philip the calculator, because Philip, he had to get out, he got out his calculator, and he started pushing buttons, and he figured out it was going to be 200 denarii. So he's looking at this great multitude, and, it, and I'll, I'll tell you, we've had, we've had calculators with us at Living Word through the years. When God is putting something on my heart, I hate when somebody tells me it can't be done. In fact, I'll tell you, pretty much through my whole life, whatever I've set out to do when I've had people say you can't do it, I just hate that. I just hate it. And, and just this, this is what is, is happening. It was, well, where are we going to get enough money to rent a building? Where are we going to get enough money to buy the building? You know, how, how are we going to be able to do this or be able to do that? And, uh, you know, and they, the, the, the calculators are there and they're calculating the numbers. But, but God doesn't operate by calculators. <laughs> if, you're, if you're in your life right now and, you, you know, you need a miracle, you know what, you could sit there and try to figuring out, you know, and calculating it. Let me tell you, God... God doesn't operate that way. And, you know, of course, we, you know, we know the, the story. Jesus multiplied the fish and the loaves, and 20,000, 25,000 people ate and, you know, and were filled. So um, Moses, again, I mean, this is Moses. I mean, he, he saw the ten plagues. He raised his staff at, 
at the Dead Sea, and it, you know, the sea divided. He, he prayed at the bitter waters of Marah, and God made them sweet. He struck the rock, and water came forth. This is all what he's seen. And you would think that maybe after seeing all those things, he wouldn't be having a faith crisis here, but he's having a faith crisis. So we're all capable of having faith crisis. The third thing is God's arm. So in, in verse 23, and the Lord said to Moses, has the Lord's arm been shortened? Now you shall see whether what I say will happen to you or not. So it, it, essentially what God is saying is my arm too short. And essentially he's saying, do I have the power? Don't I, you know, do I not have the power to feed all these people and give them meat for 30 days? So is God's arm too short? God's arm in scripture, that is God's power. It is God's strength. I'll give you a, a, a big, deep theological word. It is God's omnipotence. In other words, there are no limitations that God has. There's nothing that God can't do. So is my arm too short? And that again, that is a theme that you will see throughout Scripture where people are having a, a faith crisis and God will say to them, don't I have the power to be able to do what I said I'm going to do? So look at, look at this. This is in Isaiah chapter 40, 10 and 11. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. I want you to notice the connection between God's arm and his, really, his sovereignty as a ruler and his might. God is almighty. God is all-powerful. God is, right, he, he, is, he is omnipotent. Now watch, watch the second part of the verse. So it's, it's emphasizing here God's incredible power but then the second part of the verse, I want you to notice God's incredible love, compassion, and gentleness. So it goes on and he says, Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom right against his heart. And gently lead those who are with young. So not only is he, is he all-powerful, not only can he, he do what he has said he will do, but he also is incredibly loving and tender and compassionate and kind, like, like a gentle shepherd tending his sheep. I want to say, A.W. Tozer, one of my favorite teachers, by the way, if you want to read you want to read a, a, the, the, a books of a great preacher and teacher, A.W. Tozer to me is the best. He will convict you, he will convict you, the Holy Spirit will use him to convict you to no end. And uh, I think I've read just about everything that, that I have ever been able to find that he wrote. But he, he said this, what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like meaning a human being. What, what you perceive God to be like in your heart will speak more about who and what you are than anything else. And this verse, let me tell you something. If you didn't have the rest of the Bible and you just had this, ver this verse and this knowledge, this understanding of God, let me tell you something. You, 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 you would be different than... 999% of the rest of the people in this world. You would be different in character. You, you would be different in attitude. You would be different in feeling. To know that God is the, is the all-powerful one, but yet is incredibly tender and loving and cares about you. So that is just, again, the, the arm of God. The arm of God is His omniscience. It's His... It's his almightiness, but it's also his, his tender care. So I'll bring you to another, another verse. Genesis chapter 18, verse 14. So this is uh, a situation where Abraham and Sarah are in a faith crisis. They're old. Very old. And their reproductive pots 
are not working anymore, which is what happens when you get old. And God says, you're going to have a child. And they're doubting. And Abraham doubted. Abraham's the father of the faithful. He doubted. And Sarah, right? Sarah laughed. And what did, you know, the Lord say? Sarah, you were laughing. She says, no, I wasn't. He says, yes, you were. <laughs> That's a great passage. But here the, the Lord says, is anything too hard for the Lord? At an appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. Again, is my, is my arm too short? Jeremiah twenty two twenty seven. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 9, 26, this is about salvation. But Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. Psalm uh, 118, verse 14 through 16. This is in the New Living Translation. Want to try a great Bible? I read a different Bible translation every year. I'm in the New Living Translation. You'll love it. You have a hard time with the New King James or the King James Version? Try it. We use it with our kids. Uh, I don't think that it's as accurate as the New King James Version. It doesn't go back to Textus Receptus. I'm going to get into something really deep here with you, but the reason we use New, uh, New King James Version here is because we believe it's more accurate, but it's a good... It's a good there some, some verses are missing, a few. Okay, it's a little wordy, but I'll tell you, it, it, it's enjoyable. This, this is from the New Living Translation in Psalm 118, verse 14 through 16. And by Psalm 18 is a messianic psalm. It's, it, it's, it's a psalm with, with very clear revelations about Jesus. So in the passage, Jesus is called the cornerstone. Right in the New Testament, Peter calls him the cornerstone. That comes from Psalm 118. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord when Jesus entered in to Jerusalem. Triumphal entry, right? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Well, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord is from Psalm 118. And here it says, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has given me victory. Songs of joy and victory are sung in the camp of the godly. The strong right arm of the Lord. Here it is again, right? Now it's the, the strong right arm. Where does Jesus sit? At the right hand of the Father. The strong right arm of the Lord has done glorious things. The strong right arm of the Lord is raised in triumph. Raised in triumph. And the strong right arm of the Lord has done glorious things. Speaking about, again, his power. Speaking about the resurrection. But Jesus, if you really, Jesus is the arm of the Lord. So when you're going through the Old Testament, you see the arm of the Lord, the arm of the Lord. Jesus is the power of God. Jesus is the revelation to us of the, of the again, the love of God. Look at, at John chapter 1, verse 3. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. He is the power of God. He is the, the creating force of God. So Jesus is the right arm of God. Jesus is the arm of God. Number four here. Prophets in the camp. Uh-oh. So in, in verse 26 through 29, but two men had remained in the camp. The name of one was Ildad, and the name of the other was Medad. Now remember, God called them to come to the tent of meeting. Point 70 elders. I'm going to put my spirit on them as I did you, Moses. And then he called them to come to the tent of meeting. And these two guys, Eldad and Medad, stayed back. Now, we don't know if it was an act of obedience or disobedience. Okay, and that's not, it, it's not indicated. So they ended up staying back, and it says, And the Spirit rested upon them. Now they were among those listed, but who had not gone out to the tabernacle, yet they prophesied in the camp. They are, they are preaching, proclaiming. The word of God. And a young man ran and told Moses and said, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. So Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, one of his choice men, answered and said to Moses, Moses, my Lord, forbid them. Here, Joshua had never seen anyone prophesy besides Moses. So he's very protective of Moses. He's, right, he, he's the right hand. He's the right hand of Moses. 
He is Moses' general. He is the, you know, the warrior, and eventually he becomes the leader of Israel. So he's, he's very protective of Moses. He's got Moses' back. I remember just, let me tell you, through all the years here, I've had some good people who have had my back. Pastor Pedro. Pastor Pedro had my back like no other. I'll just tell you that. And even when Pastor Pedro moved on to his church in, you know, in Bergenfield, man, Pedro would talk to me. He'd just say, do you need anything from me? I got your back. I got your back. I just, he, 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 always, had, he always had my back. Incredi- just incredibly, incredibly, you know, a, a guardian over Pastor Frank. I miss him. And then uh, it says here, then Moses said to him, are you zealous for my sake? And he was. Oh, that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. And Moses returned to the camp, he and the elders of Israel. I want to ask you this. Moses' words in verse 29, that all God's people would prophesy. When did that happen? On Pentecost. On, on the 120 are in the upper room when the Holy Spirit came upon them. What did they do? They left the upper room and they began to prophesy in different languages. Well, you look, look, look at it here. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when the sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, look, are, are not all of these who speak Galileans? And they, they're hearing them again in all these different languages. But it is, it is again, the move of the Holy Spirit, just the, the, the fulfillment of Joel, that the Holy Spirit would come upon, okay, us as believers. And we would prophesy, we would proclaim the word of God. So I, I say this to you, I believe this. Too many wallflowers in the church. God has given you the Holy Spirit. Uh, do you all, are you all going to be a pastor? No. But I said this, I, I have been bringing people up, and there are going to be more of them who are coming up in upcoming months and weeks here preaching. Because I believe that God has put a word, a message in every one of your hearts. We are all called to be witnesses. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria until the end of the earth. We have all been empowered by God to, to give messages and to speak, to speak the, 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 the word of God to people. And again, that doesn't mean that you're an apostle or an evangelist or a pastor or a teacher or a prophet. But he, is, he has given you, he has given you that gift. He has given you that power to be able to proclaim his word. And again, I, I, I see people there, you know, they're, they're, I don't know what it is. It's fear, worried about what people are going to think about them. Fear of public speaking. You've got to bring those things to God. Your, your life is, listen, your life is, is ebbing away every day. You're getting, clo- you're getting closer and closer to the grave, every one of us. I don't, know how many, you know, I don't know how many more days I have. I don't know how many more days you have. But we have been given an opportunity to share the good news and share the gospel in an in extremely right, biblical and personal way. And again, I, I, I don't know if, again, what's keeping you from doing that, we're all called to be doing it. Stop worrying about what people think about you and only think about what God thinks about you. I'll tell you, I'm, I talk and I, I love what I do outside the church. In fact, I am far more effective bringing people to Christ outside the church than in the church. And I, I ended up being guided by the Spirit years ago to start this company that I run. And I'm just so thankful because I think I was going crazy just being in the church, just talking to Christians all the time, just preaching to the choir. I like talking to unbelievers. And even like today, I had the opportunity to witness, strongly witness to people that I've been able to connect with. They know that I care for them. They, they, they know that I have a love in my heart for them. And I am able to share the gospel with them. And I've led many of these people to Christ, far more people to Christ there than I have here. I mean, some of them come here. 
But it just it, it, to, to be with unbelievers, and I don't, we're, we're so terrified of those, those unbelievers and their, their wicked thoughts and you know, their, their wicked ways. Man, he's called us to go to them. Paul was the worst of the worst. And look what happened when he was one. But the, you know, we, we, need, we need to share, we need to share that word that God has put in our heart with them. And if you're, if you're one of those people who say, well, you know what, my life is a witness. Who has ever come to Christ by just looking at someone's life? Or is your life that good? Are you that prideful to believe that, you know, people are just going to look at you and say, wow, you have such a wonderful life. I want to accept Jesus right now. <laughs> it doesn't work. We fall short. We're sinners. And that's what we said. He said, you need, you need to be sharing the gospel. Yeah, you're going to witness in life, but you need to be witnessing in word. So it is, a, it, it is, he's called us all to be, in a sense, prophets and proclaim the word of God. All right, last point, quail and wrath. You ever go to a great, you go, go to a dinner with people you love and it could be a great dinner and then all of a sudden, right, it can erupt into, I mean, it gives you indigestion for the next week. I, I don't want to eat with people who do that to me. I don't, I will avoid, I mean, listen, you may have to deal with difficult people. I do not want to sit down and eat with people who are going to give me indigestion. And that's kind of what you have here. So in verse 31, now a wind went out from the Lord and it brought quail from the sea and left them fluttering near the camp about a day's journey on this side and about a day's journey on the other side, all around the camp and about two cubits above the surface of the ground. That's a lot. That's a lot of quail. And, and the people stayed up all that day, all night and all the next day and gathered the quail he who gathered least gathered ten homers, and uh, they spread them out for themselves all around the camp. So you know what you know what a quail is, right? It's like a it's like a right a Cornish hen. Is that what it would be? A Cornish hen would be equivalent of a of a quail. When when Sue and I when we got married, I think I was I was probably about two hundred and fifty pounds and um, training like a maniac, and I wasn't I wasn't fat. And, um, you know, I'd come home and it'd be steak, eat a chicken, you know, two chickens. Uh, there are times I was eating like, I, I'm crazy, I get three dozen eggs a day. I drink a gallon of milk a day. You know, I was eating something three pounds of meat a day. And um, I go home one night and she made me two Cornish hens. And, and I'm like trying to get the meat off these little things. It's like eating sparrows. I mean, she killed the sparrows. I mean, it was big, they were as big as my hand. And I looked at her and I said, listen, if you ever make Cornish hens again, I'm going to divorce you. <laughs> so they had a lot of quail to eat. But then in verse 33, but while the meat was still between their teeth before it was chewed, the wrath of the Lord was aroused against the people and the Lord struck the people with a very great plague. So he called the name of the place Kibroth Hatava because there they buried the people who had yielded to the craving. He took out the people who were really the instigators of this, who stirred up the people in their complaints. And from Kibrath uh, Hatava, the people moved to Hazaroth and camped at Hazaroth. So it's, 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 it's a picture of abundance, but it's also a picture of God's wrath and his discipline operating you know, here because of the craving that they had to essentially go back to Egypt. So here's, a, here's our, just a few key points. One... Again, bloom where you're planted. You may, you may be in a place right now that is incredibly comfortable, bloom there. You may be in a place and you're saying, well, it's really uncomfortable for me, and well, this message is just right for you tonight. You may be in a desert. You may be dealing with, right, with, with, with the heat and the cold, with the dryness. Don't look back. And let me tell you this, don't be looking ahead. 
Right now, just, just bloom where God has planted you and be faithful and grow and flourish in Jesus. Time will come where he will move you on. He always does. But don't waste this opportunity because it's where he has you. It's, it, he has you in this place right now. He's not so oh, geez, I didn't know Pastor Frank was going to be in this place right now. He knew. He knew. And he planted me here. So flourish, bloom where, where God has planted you. The second is, is God's arm too short? Right? I don't know what you're, you're looking at in your life, and uh, it's a good question to ask yourself. Maybe you need a breakthrough. Maybe you need a healing. Maybe you need an answer to prayer. Maybe you need a miracle. Is God's arm too short? And I believe that it's not. Reach up and grab on to him. And then the, the final thing here, the third thing, do you have a word in your heart that wants to come out? Right? God has given you, he, he's given you a beautiful word that could lead people to Christ, that could move people closer to Jesus. It could be a, a healing word. It could be a word of, of, of restoration and renewal. People are starving, folks, in this culture. They, they are beat down. They are discouraged, right? There's just, there's, there's just not a lot. Of, I mean, you're listening to the news right now. I've heard more mention of nuclear war and World War III in the last couple of months than I think I've heard in the last 30 years. People, people are living in fear, and we've got the word of life. And I know, I know it's down there. It's deep down in every one of your hearts. But you have to be willing to release it. Share that word. Amen? The worship team can come up. They're going to lead us in a song, and then what I'm going to ask you to do, we're going to do something different tonight. I want you to feel free to move around the church. You've done this with me before, and you're going to pray. You know, you may want to go and pray over the nursery or pray over the Sunday school in the rock center. You might want to go over and pray in the cry room. Or pray over the sound room, pray here over the pulpit, pray here at the altar. You may just want to move amongst the chairs. You think about people who are sitting in the seats around you on Sunday. And you're just going to go there and you're going to pray. Just be open to the Spirit. He, he will have you pray. And I, so this, I can look out, and I frequently do this on Wednesday nights. I'll just start praying for you, for you, for you, for you, for you. And maybe I don't know you. But I will pray and ask the Holy Spirit, you know, just to reveal things to my heart, and then I will pray for you. I, I think that there's a lot of things that I usually know as the pastor of the church of what I could pray for for people. But just move around. There are people that you're sitting around. Just put your hands on the chair and pray for them. So stand, stand with me. Um, Len will wrap up the service after uh, worship. And then I'm just going to ask you to feel free to move around the church. Thank you, Pastor Frank. Thank you for the word. Thank you, Lord, for your holy word.
For that great promise, Lord, and you have made new life begin in us, one by one, saving us, Lord. Father, we just ask that you would continue to lead us in this time of prayer, Lord. Help us remember what we've learned tonight and apply it to our lives, Lord, to be able to grow stronger for you and more like you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray.